Well, hello and uh, welcome to another episode of Pod of the Gaps, the podcast that seeks to plug the gaps between the church and the culture uh, to talk about the issues that no one else talks about, to refresh the parts of the culture that other, well, there we go. Uh, I am Andy Bannister uh, and I'm joined as ever by my uh, podcasting partner in crime, uh, Aaron Edwards. And Aaron, you appear to be sitting in a small lobby by a door somewhere we have podcasts from strange locations but why are you sitting in what looks like a hallway by a door with a fire alarm above your head indeed i mean the efforts we go to for our listeners Andy, yes. you know I, i'm you do not and actually I'm, do not I'm getting a bit i'm getting slightly numb uh with you know sitting without a chair on the floor but it's because this is i've been in our church building and there's people working in various offices and uh this is the only place where I can get good Wi-Fi that is not as interrupted by other things. So I'm next to yes. a delivery door, and uh, if a delivery comes, you know that's going to be part of the episode. We're just going to very exciting. This, this podcast we episode. We'll see what what will the parcel be? Who knows? Oh, this episode is sponsored by Amazon Prime. Uh, you know, <laughs> exactly. other other delivery. If they want to send us right. anything. It would be quite if we, could, if we were doing a live podcast. We could get a listener to order something to arrive during the podcast. We have same hour delivery. That could Super be very fine. exciting. To be but the exciting news is the reason you are sitting by a doorway and you are not in, you know, uh, your home where you have done previous episodes from. So you, there is big news, is there not, in the in the in the Edwards world this week? Yes, we have. We've moved house this week. We moved yes. house. I guess yeah, a day ago, which was uh, crazy, and seven a.m. till two a.m. And I had some great helpers from uh, a good brotherhood of helpers from my church. It was a. Uh, a real job. We have far too much stuff. Children bring things into the world with them, it seems. I love the way that you we, said, we, like, we've got far too much stuff, children, and then you paused, which made it sound yes. like you finally decided that five <laughs> kids is too many and uh, you've just had to leave Yeah, no, it's it's just the, oh, you, the junk you accumulate. What it was is, it's it's the last minute junk. Last minute junk yes. is what stresses me out with, with moving. I'm happy uh, with big, bulky stuff. You can It's heavy and hard work, but you can do it. It's clear. It's all clear. And it's just op- it's opening a mattress and seeing, what is all this stuff? Do we keep it or not? Oh, yeah. You just feel well, like... Well, the other thing as well, that, like, the other thing that makes moving interesting, we've moved many times over the years, and I am... Um, Thankfully, I don't think she listens to this podcast. Otherwise, I'll get something thrown at me. She is a uh, my 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 beloved uh, bride is a um, a little bit of a hoarder, and she denies this. But one of my one of my prima facie pieces of evidence, we have one box in our house. Only one, to be fair, but it's a box that I think first got packed up when we lived in the UK before Canada. That box then came across the Atlantic to uh, with us to Canada. Sat in the garage in. Toronto and it can then came back to Scotland and now down to England so it's gone through four moves unopened I think it's sort of some heirloom or something some piece of historic <laughs> China that belonged to somebody um but it's the fact this box has followed us around the world and yes. uh, as yet un- unopened but the answer is always well one day that I'll have the right place for it and so I am um, you know we, we need to we need to keep that so you know, it's, it's, uh, it's funny, as you're saying it, I'm literally thinking this would be a, a properly interesting episode. It's not the episode we're actually planning to do today, but it would be the whole thing about like our possessions. I, I was I was hearing something on the radio on the way in today, and um, they people there was this on Radio One, BBC Radio One. There was, there was a kind of phone in thing about people just reflecting on people who have um, who name objects in their house, and so they can't throw them away. So hoarding takes a new level where they personify like this bin and they have two bins one's a slightly larger than the other so they call it they they, they they gave them two names they couldn't throw the superfluous bin out because they saw it as the father of the new bin 
Oh dear. Which is absolutely well. Uh, you know, I I, I I appreciate that in that I, uh, I you know we have a we have a step ladder in our house, and I reflect on the fact the step ladder is moving for me because I've never known my real my my real ladder. <laughs> there we go. That's, that's one coming. And we didn't. I don't even think that you planned that. That's not even one. The Madison no, brain is. It's kind of that joke kind of happened. I assume you said when she named it in. That one of the bins was going to be the one that was always full was going to be called a sama, a sama bin. That, laden. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a good one. Very good. Very good. good. You're, you're on that's old. A, of course, really bins are the place. Bins are the place you would put stuff. So, if you wanted to get rid of a load of Andy Bannister books in your house when you're moving, for example, if there's you know, you can put them into here's a bin. Bins, uh, put them in the. Uh, those were both. Um, those were both dad jokes. though, really, they'd already be qualified as, as dad jokes. I can see it. So, I can feel it on the horizon. There's a, there's, a wave, there's a wave of segue. There's a segue. Wave of segue. Tidal wave growing. There's a wave of segue coming. <laughs> Days, isn't there? You can see it. There's, there we show a little bell that goes off, going like segue alert. <laughs> and uh, today's topic, I was very tempted to say we could just throw today's topic out the window and do consumerism, um, which is a topic yes. we need to do. Um, kind of thing we need. Well, we need to get the merchandising figured out before we can do consumerism. So you can buy That's the, true. you know, I'm against consumerism part of the gaps t-shirt. But we did Absolutely. want to talk about 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 fatherhood and, and dads uh, was the theme uh, for today. Mm. And uh, one of the questions I thought would be interesting to talk about is, is there something that fathers can bring to parenting that mums can't? And I think if my kids were here, they might go, yeah, dad jakes uh, is one of the things that you, yeah, you yeah, bring to right. your dad. And yeah. they are pretty awful, but that's important. And depends um, if, it's a fa- if it's a father bin, of course, you know, it's a different, a father different bin territory. And, and a mummy bin. That's almost like the Sharky Shark yeah. song, isn't it? There's a, there's a, there's a, there's a, yes, there's a father right. bin, a mummy bin and a little baby yeah. bin. Um, that's right. Kind of thing. But uh, but fathers is a thing to talk about, and of course that's not an inappropriate topic to talk about because um, between us, <laughs> just be careful to be lifted out of context. Between us, we are the fathers of seven children. Um, <laughs> you, you 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 have five, and I have I have I have two. I cannot possibly seem to match your um. You know, your we're just gonna we're just trying to yeah we're trying to be winsome to the LGBT kind of one, just, LGBT just put it out there. Let them let let, let a segment just say Andy Manson said you and I are the father of, uh, fathers of seven children. <laughs> I, no, I would collectively uh, between us are the fathers of. of, uh, of, of, of well, I presume you're the father of five children. It used to be a running joke. I confess that every time we came to we, we our family came to visit you guys, you'd have a, produced a new child yeah, that's true. suddenly emerged. That's true. Um, but I but, but five that's is true. the current. I also don't think collectively makes it sound better. It doesn't. Like, make it sound you better. and I collectively, it's like we have some exactly collective. The <laughs> we have, you know, seven. all these wives just hanging around in our commune. It sounds it's getting. Well, that, that's that's yeah. That, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Again, this is getting worse and worse. This hole is getting bigger. I can I can see the phones at all of the gaps house lighting up. That segue, um, that segue on the horizon that is looking so smooth is uh... it's now it's now crashed. It's like the wreck of the Hindenburg has uh, has gone. Right. But the reason I wanted, anyway. more seriously, I think the reason I thought fathers would be a great thing to to talk about the other week. Uh, on the episode we did the fatherhood of god and we did look at that topic didn't we the way that there's you know some yeah. parts of the church there's real nervousness about that but i think that opened up the, the theme didn't it that there's a bigger issue in culture isn't there that, that fatherhood is something people don't want to want to talk about it's um you know it's been picked up for a while we've got um i think there's a huge question in our culture around the role of fathers and um, there's a mm-hmm. t- there's been a tendency in our culture to i think downplay fathers um, you know, the fathers are, you know, the, the, the things that you could, jokes that you could do about dads being useless that you wouldn't get away with mums 
for example. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, think of TV ads. If you want to portray mm-hmm. somebody being useless in the home, it's usually these days the dad who's the butt end of the yeah. joke. Um, then you've got the issue that we've got an absent father crisis in our in our society. I mean, we noticed this when we moved down to, to England from 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 Scotland that the, the street that we live in um, in our town. I mean, the number of families where the dad is missing is 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 is, is tragic. I mean, this is not just social commentary. This is actually really moving. See so the number of you know kids who who have got this situation. So like next door to us, the family next next door is a single mum, two kids. Two different dads, um, you know. And she's great; does a great job. I'm hugely impressed with what she's doing raising her kids. But you look at the, you yeah. can see what the absence yeah. of a father is doing, particularly to the to the to the, to the son, who I think is almost you can see there's almost an envy there in what my son has that he's a, mm-hmm. you know, they're doing mm-hmm. a home where there's a mum and a dad. Um, so I guess there's a question: of what happens when you have absent fathers? And then of course some of the sociological links that have been done too. Very struck last year mentioned on the show before reading the book the boy crisis by the american mm. psychologist warren yeah. farrell who i think does have a faith of some kind he plays it fairly quietly oh there, yeah but definitely talks definitely, about the definitely. fact that you know as someone who has done a lot of psychology psychological work in prisons you know as a psychologist yeah. sort of 50 years standing you know he said invariably behind almost every guy i worked with in prisons who was in for something horrendous there was part of the story not the whole of the story but part of the story absent absent father so the damage that is done um, is just is just horrendous. Yeah, as a society, we seem to not encourage fathers. We've we've forgotten the value of them. And then church too, right? I remember the um the other the other year, one of my kids commenting to me, Aaron, saying, you know, asking the question, why is it, Dad, that we 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 talk quite a lot about Mother's Day in church, but Father's Day. I don't think if you got a mention, it just it just sailed on. It sailed on by. Um, and, uh, and and all and again that's not all churches like before the phones that you know before you light up the phone switchboard at pot of the gaps hq with hang on my church had a whole <laughs> church service for for fathers um am i yeah i've got an, an amazon delivery yeah. just a lot arrived with an, an angry note from a listener uh for me to <laughs> respond to um i think you know i think you're right it's uh I, well that's partly just because we live in a rapidly feminist society that is doesn't we haven't really wor- even worked out the full implications of how much feminism has impacted families and society and churches. And I think lots of churches are unaware of that because they, they'll think, oh, yeah, femini- the, they think of feminism as the craziest version that they are not. And they don't realise how pervasive it is across. They're infected with the same thing. I think it's infected. This is a good you know, not to get into feminism as a topic itself, but it has been hugely influential on the on the um, degeneration of um of fatherhood in our culture. That's why the fathers are the butt of the jokes. Because in the narrative of feminism, of course, we have the ogre, the, the evil patriarch, the evil misogynist who wants to do whatever he wants and wants to tread on the women. And therefore, how can we reverse that? Well, we need to make the women the better part of the story. And I know people, there'll be women listening to this going, well, that's not true. There's loads of films, for example, where men are the hero. It's a problem that men still domineer over women. And yes, that is a problem. We're not saying that just let the men do whatever they want. Let the fathers rule in every respect. We, you need good men um, to mm. do that. And the problem is we've created a, a culture where it's harder and harder for, for, for good men to be good men because even the good men are then called toxic. They're called um, domineering. We kind of like to take them down. We like to mock them and joke again. So the dads, just, dads don't have gravitas and authority in their homes because they are seen as, again, oh, they're the ones who make the jokes that do the dad dancing at a wedding 
they pay the bills maybe and they, they maybe more often they might bring in a, a higher wage and that's something that feminists will also say that's a problem and we should have it equalized i but basically there's not a sense of authority because we worry oh that will be just like back in the day when we have all these terrible nightmare stories of how terrible men domineered of course you don't want terrible men domineering but you need good men who are going to lead and, and rule yeah. well and i think that's kind of what what fatherhood is so, so to go back in i think i might have mentioned it in the last episode that's what patriarchy the word means father rule patri Okay, but whether people want to use that word positively or not, you might disagree on. I just think you want good fathers who are going to rule well, and that means they they do need to act like fathers rather than just be this kind of guy in the corner who does what's needed to be done when he's asked to by his by his wife yeah. or whoever or partner nowadays increasingly. And so, yeah, we need to recover. I think we need to rec- recover this because it's something that Christians especially, we should have a lot to say on it. Like the fatherhood of God is a big deal and fathers are given specific in- instructions. There's a lot of stuff in scripture where fatherhood is so central. And as you say, Andy, today it's a horrendous, there's a horrendous father gap. You know, there's, there's a there's a father hunger, to use a phrase from a, a, a Doug Wilson book from several years ago. There's a hunger for fatherhood and people are noticing it. You know, a lot of the BLM trouble in, in the US, for example, which is obviously where the, the worst of um, of some of the, the racial tensions have been and the, the kind of um, degradation of certain parts of society in black communities. The bigger problem um, is actually absence of fathers. That's a far bigger problem than the yeah. idea of systemic racism it's not systemic racism that's keeping it down. It's the lack of fathers who are there being good fathers, just being there, being there for their for their sons and daughters as they grow up, protecting their daughters well from bad guys, teaching their their sons to be good guys. Um, that's that's so influential, and we we don't really have seem to have the resources to really go for that and challenge that as an issue. I think because of the again the, the yeah. kind of the ghost in the room of feminism. I think you're right, and I think one thing as you describe the the BLM piece. There, one of my suspicions is that both in the culture and in the church, Aaron, it's easier in one sense to you know raise the issue of racism uh, because, in, because I mean there is an issue there. Again, that's not to downplay that, but going, in one sense, it's a bit like shooting fish in the barrel. It's much easier to go for that issue um, and so forth. It's much easier to look at perhaps issues of you know sort of pay disparity between men and women. We mentioned that issue again. Those are easy issues because you can, in one sense, you can go, okay, we can see the numbers. Here's the problem. How do we fix it? I think the problem with fatherhood and one of the reasons people run away from dressing it in societies and, as I say, the church, it's a much bigger issue. It's a huge mm-hmm. issue to begin to address because so many pieces flow uh, flow into it. It was interesting that you mentioned the, the, you, you mentioned the phrase good men there a moment ago. Mm-hmm. I was saying before the show began that my, my reading this, this week, I'm up in the north of Scotland uh, speaking at the Argyle Convention, and amazing – uh, location here in Oban. As we talk now, I'm looking out the window of the house that I'm lodging in, looking across the, the water there to Mull. It's a beautiful location. Uh, my and reading for the afternoon... For, for, for international listeners, that's Scotland, not the Middle East, in case you not know, Middle East. Oban. No, 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 no yeah. exactly. It's Oban. And, um, but my, after, my afternoon reading, for when I'm not speaking here, I'm reading Nancy Piercy. So Nancy Piercy is, a, is an American um, philosopher, brilliant writer, and her latest book is The Toxic War on Masculinity. And one of the nice metaphors that I said she uses throughout the book, she differentiates between what she calls the good man and the real man. And the real man, mm. she says, that's what society encourages men to be, be a real man, you know, yeah. get a get a God out there, earn lots of money, drink hard, 
you know, be physical, you know, uh, be sexually all over the place, all these things. That's what society yeah. is telling men. Mm-hmm. Uh, even today, that is still the the image of masculinity that is portrayed. And of course, then women react against that, not, uh, you know, who wouldn't. Yeah. Um, but on the other hand, is what she calls what men should be called to is the image of the good man, which is the biblical model yeah. of masculinity. And that includes using things like your strength and those things in the way that God uh, intended. Um, but we've separated yeah. those two. So men today, both inside in the church and outside of it, I don't think are being helped to understand what it means mm-hmm. to be a, a good man as God intended. I mean, it's an interesting question. When was the last time you heard a sermon on masculinity? Um, I'm I'm, pre- I'm preaching one in Tasmania in September, and it's interesting. You know, you, you do research, you look around, going, okay, who else has covered this topic that I can perhaps have a listen to and get some thoughts? And not a lot out there. And then the other thing that Nancy goes into in the beginning of that book that was eye-opening for me. I think I sort of knew these pieces, but hadn't put them together in quite this way. She talked about the fact that one of the big elephants in the room, one of the big problems that's gone on. And this is what I mean about solving this being a challenge. There's the whole there's the whole process of industrialization, and when, and when yeah. industrialization happened, before that, men were generally working out of the home, you know, agriculture, yeah. or they might have been doing something like, you know, they were they were a potter or a blacksmith or whatever. They're working out of their home, which means the wife and the family were often involved. Um, you know, uh, economic activity was a communal family activity. Man, yes, cottage, had, cottage yeah, industry, yeah, this kind of stuff. When industrialization happened. And then suddenly men then began working outside of the home. You went off to the factory, you went off to the office. That then rips that that world apart. And you then have the public world, which was more masculine, the private world that's more feminine. And that does damage in two directions. One is that all of those classical virtues like compassion and, uh, and kindness and education, all those things, that gets dropped into the private sphere and seen as something that women are good at. So women are all the things that you aspire to, all those virtues that sound lovely. Men are absent. Yeah. Their distant fathers are out of the home, disconnected from their children, increasingly struggling then to relate to their families because the virtues that are expected of you in the workplace are not the ones in the home. In the workplace, you're expected to be out there driving hard, making money, being the tough guy who does the deals. Of course, if you bring that behavior back into the home, your family react and men, therefore, no longer know how to straddle, how to operate in yeah. that private sphere. Um, mm-hmm. And everything begins to go wrong from there. And I think that's part of the problem today, actually. I mean, we talk about absent fathers in terms of dads being people who are physically aren't there. There's also a problem with absent mm-hmm. fathers being the guy who disappears out the door at seven in the morning, doesn't reappear till nine o'clock in the evening because he's out there in the private sphere, disconnected from his, yeah. from, his, from, his from his kids. How, what, how mm-hmm. we put that, Jeannie, back in the bottle was even possible i don't know but what was interesting was it was really until i read nancy's book you know woke me to it again thinking we're not talking about this in the churches i think one role here for the church is to begin a conversation around fatherhood of going okay enough talk about toxic masculinity stop end this stops Mm. because there's toxic femininity too what about starting a positive conversation around okay what should good fatherhood look like because Mm. i think men are looking for role models and I look back to when yeah. I became a dad 10 years ago, I think it would have been, I'd have found it really helpful if the church that yeah. I was in at the time was saying, okay, this is what fatherhood looks like. This is what it means yeah. to be a good husband yeah. and father, rather than you're left scrabbling around trying to figure it out on your own mm-hmm. with no help mm-hmm. from anywhere other than people telling you, well, it shouldn't be this. Yeah. Yeah. And often that's needing to be modeled as well, isn't it? As you say, it's not even a case you can't just, it's not about reading books about it. Of course there are plenty of books 
one could read about fatherhood per se or masculinity per se, but I think you need to see it lived out in lives and spend time with people. You need to be fathered. And some, many of us haven't, have all, we've all been imperfectly fathered. Um, and I, what I would want to avoid though, because even when we're talking about the language of good men, bad men, good father, bad father, some might listen to that with their gospel centered hat on and go, ah, but all have fallen, you know, short of the glory, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So we have to do the caveat where we say, but we're not, we're bad as well. We're all bad. And isn't the gospel wonderful because it saves us? So yes, amen, in terms of sin, absolutely. But it, we lose sight of, of the importance of there is such a thing as there are better and there are worse. There, and we just, we, we, we worry again about, that we would look like Pharisees if we focus on a virtue and say there are things to aspire to that you can model and actually teach and, and hopefully lead people into that will produce good fruit. It doesn't mean it's a formula and always works. It doesn't mean you then get to be self-righteous and say, I am a better, you know, I, I'm a, I guess, a lording it over others or, or disdaining or looking down upon others. But there has to be a level at which we say we are aspiring to the good. And there's so much wisdom in scripture about that. You think of the Proverbs. What on earth is the point of Proverbs other than, I mean, if, if we don't believe there are better or worse ways to live, there are fruitful and unfruitful ways to live. And, and you, there are good men and there are bad men. There are wicked people and sinners, as it or, or fools, and there are the righteous. There are those who are prudent. There are those who are diligent. There are those who are, are responsible. So this is sort of why it, some listen to it. Oh, but doesn't that tend you towards a sort of a certain kind of mindset where you're um, you're potentially going to um, create a kind of barrier between you guys, the, the good guys and the bad guys? Aren't we all a mixture of grey, etc.? And I just think that's just a classic postmodern um, thing that we love to say today in order to get out of holding ourselves to standards that God actually holds us to. So it's not, so yeah, and again, even in the New Testament with the new covenant, many Christians, we sort of act as though when it comes to stuff like, how do you be a good father? You could just go, well, isn't it great? Cause I can just be a terrible father and then God will keep forgiving me and forgiving me and forgiving me. And it doesn't really matter. I don't have to ever aspire to raise good children. If I don't have, if I raise them in the, in the fear and instruction of the Lord, um, or, or I don't, it doesn't really matter because you know, we're just, God will save them. Hopefully one day let's just let them go and have a car crash life then they can have that wonderful evangelical testimony where they were on drugs and were a pimp or something and then came to jesus we and we are sort of because we glorify that kind of story there's less motivation in some evangelical churches i would say almost because oh who am i as a mere father to have an influence upon my children or to have an influence on my family because wouldn't that be me sort of usurping god's authority and actually God's, God's given fathers a quite unique duty as heads of their households. And that just, the fact that we have to squabble about that in the church and all oh, mm-hmm. fathers allowed to be heads of the household, like, yes, like, not allowed. They are, whether or not you agree, they are the head of their household, according to God. And so go and take it up with God if you have a problem with that. And you're going to be a good head who abd- or going to be a bad head who abdicates and basically lets his wife run the home. And because she's better at this thing or, or that thing or whatever. It's often just an egalitarian way of thinking in our society, which may, really emasculates um, the men, emasculates the, the fathers, and, and stops them really taking that lead. Again, partly what I was saying earlier, because we've seen yeah. bad models of fatherhood. We've not been fathered well, maybe ourselves. And, I, and no, you and I are, are clearly going to be imperfect in our fatherhood. But saying we're imperfect is not the same as saying, like, I guess, accepting and being content with 
a sort of lower standard or, or, or mm. from, from the get-go. We actually want to be aspirational. We want to look to good fathers who are going to help us raise our children well because they're the most precious commodity, if that's even the right word, which it certainly isn't, and that we have in our life, the most important responsibility we have. And, and there's something God-given about that. Mm. And natural. Any, any non-Christian ought to. I think even the worst father, let's say he's completely abandoned his kids, I just I can't believe that there are that many of them who literally there's nothing in them at all that doesn't feel a sense of guilt about what they've done if they've completely abandoned their family, especially if they've known their children at one point. And you, you yes. do just hear these really sad stories so often. I heard a guy on Twitter, a grown, you know, it's a guy in his 50s, quite a, bro, a vocal guy on Twitter, uh, in, like, saying lots of good stuff, but saying, you know, just put out on Twitter recently, you know, please pray for me. My dad's, kind of, you know, my kind of dad, who I've been sort of semi-estranged from for like years, is coming to help me mend some fences today uh, i think it's because he's struggling with his mortality like so the dad's kind of getting old and wants to almost oh i want to make up for lost time and and i was just gosh it's such yes. a, it's a really poignant tweet to see gosh there's so much in that and then he then he then he got a flood of people sort of praying for him and then saying actually the and the issue was his you know, his dad had, had been a drinker and and you know you could he said fill in the gaps you know my dad my dad didn't didn't respond he's angry and he drunk and you can just guess what the rest uh, happen and, and that's quite a common story and, and I yeah, don't want to blame is. and let's say I don't want to blame it on the society all these let's say the feminists have turned all these men into, into to drink whatever but there's got to be a kind of correlation these men are responsible for their sins they need to own up to that they need to be responsible for that but at the same time we need to help encourage them don't we to be good men and not just constantly say well on one hand either say there is no such thing as a good man because then you'll be a Pharisee if you think you're good and someone else is bad or on the other side yeah just not um yeah, almost sort of um, let it all go to part and, and not really, you know, care at all and, and then abdicate responsibility and authority, which is God-given. Well, it's, it's it's funny, for some reason, I suddenly found myself thinking in pop song lyrics there. And, of course, you know, that sort of story of the absent father is, you know, not I mean, not only there in personal stories, you, lots of movies and literature. And then, of course, I was thinking of the, there's the, mm. classic, there's the classic pop song, Cats in the Cradle. Uh, the, the Harry Chapin song oh, yeah. from the 1970s or whatever, which is all about that regret that, you know, about a dad who grows up ignoring his kid and then suddenly realises with horror when his kid becomes an adult and then starts ignoring him and the whole, so what you, the, the kind of sowing and reaping mm. thing. On. And then for some reason, when you were banging on there, I jumped into Bonnie Tyler holding up for a hero, where have all the good men gone? And... Um, <laughs> the serious point about that, I'm not being flippant, it is interesting that sometimes it's in the art of the movies that you hear the cry of the heart, yeah. that the political oh, yeah. sphere, yeah. no one's asking mm-hmm. the questions. Put that to one side and go to the and go to the, the songs and the movies and the music, and that's where people are, are crying out and going, hang mm-hmm. on, what is, what is going on? Mm-hmm. I mean, you're right about the... We have this very strange sort of scenario, I think, in the church, where at the more progressive end of the church... You know, there's the the idea there would be well, you can't possibly talk about the importance of fathers and 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 men and so on because that's anti-feminist. And then the more conservative churches, you get into the we can't possibly, you know, as you say, talk about good parenting, good fathers mm-hmm. because you know this is this is the Lord's job. We just trust that we trust the providence of God. Um, and, and either end, you've got I feel you've got dads in the middle sitting there going, what am I supposed to be? Um, and the interesting thing is that you say on virtue, the other curious mixed up aspect of our culture is that in so many other areas right we have no problem don't we with the idea of aspiring to role models so thinking sport for example 
you know, I don't worry about the fact that as a, you know, sort of wannabe really amateur rock climber that I look to like mm. someone like Alex Donald, best rock climber, one of the best rock climbers in the world. And I go, wow, he inspires me and I can look to that and I can mm. aspire to get a bit better. I'll never be anywhere near that. But mm. I don't see that as a kind of, oh, it's a bad thing. I see that's great. It's good to have a, a, have a hero. Mm. As long as you're as your hero as a feat of clay. And I don't think the problem, I don't think that's a problem in the moral realm either. Historically, that's why, you know, we, we, you know, the importance of looking at the lives of those, particularly in the past. And that's actually, we've talked about this on Pond of the Gaps before. That's why I think as Christians, looking to those who've gone before us, the importance of Christian biography and so on is good. Because actually, it's easier to weigh up the feet of clay thing in the past. When someone's dead and gone, you can look back and go, okay, they weren't perfect, but they did some great things. We can learn from what they did well, and we can also learn from what they did badly. That saves, you know, putting one another on on pedestals Mm. but i think yeah i don't think the church would necessarily suffer a little bit more of going here is what it looks like you know to be a good father these are the things we should aspire to and when we mess up and we make mistakes there is grace and forgiveness but also consequences Mm. if you've really messed up we hold one another to it to account and spur one another on and of course those the moral metaphor and the discipleship metaphor and the athletics metaphor of course come together because the new testament Mm. uses that imagery of running the race. Paul loves that metaphor yeah. of pressing on towards mm-hmm. towards the goal and uh, and sort mm-hmm. of straining on forwards towards the finishing mm-hmm. line. Um, and I think mm-hmm. that's a that's a helpful metaphor. The metaphor of walking there in the New Testament as a as a metaphor for discipleship. You know, that's mm-hmm. that long obedience in the one direction of just one foot in front of the other as you yeah. as you follow Christ. But one of the re- one of the things we 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 stumble into too, Aaron, that I think is a problem we have, as I've noticed in in quite a surprising breadth of the church, that if you hint at the idea that there might be some things that fathers are called to do specifically, that Mm -hmm. therefore, by extension, women are not, suddenly people feel this desperate need to go, oh, yeah, but hang on a minute, there are single mums, and we want to be careful not to Mm -hmm. suggest that somehow that's second rate. And hang on, are you suggesting Mm -hmm. that, if you say that, you know, courage is more of a um, a virtue that that, that fathers Mm -hmm. and husbands are called to, but hang on a minute, I know courageous women and it mm. seems at the moment you try and put some flesh on the, the bones yeah. Of, yeah. Of, of this. And by the oh, way, I was right. first put yeah. onto this. I blame you for this because the after the last podcast and we turned <laughs> off the mic, I I said to you, I'm you know, I told you I was preaching down in Tasmania a few weeks' time oh, on yes. biblical masculinity. And I just, you know, I know this is more your area than mine. You've done more stuff on this. So I said, what passage would you pick just out of interest? And you put me onto 1 Corinthians 16. Um mm. Uh, I forget the exact verse off the top of my head. Where, 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 where? Sixteen, Paul, thirteen. Yeah. Thank you. Where Paul says, you know, act, act like, be, be courageous, act like men. Um, mm-hmm. And I was struck by that's the King James. I think is virtually I paraphrase there. You go for almost any modern translation, the act mm-hmm. like men is translated out. Even though right. you look at the Greek, it is clearly um, androgya something. It's uh, it's yeah, the, yeah. the Greek word is act in a way that is is manly and courageous. But modern yeah. translators have felt the need to go, oh, gosh, we couldn't possibly imply yeah. that Paul is writing something here. Whereas elsewhere, Paul is quite capable of addressing different advice to different groups, to young women, to young men, um, recognizing that the, 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 the sexes are tempted in, in different ways. Yeah. The virtues are a little bit different um, or expressed differently. Of course, women can be courageous, but the way that comes out yeah. with men is clearly different there's a reason why you know you look at you look at the number of people who die in the workplace it's 92 percent of people who die in the workplace in the u.s are men 94 percent in europe are men men do tend to be the ones who are more naturally drawn to the to the courageous stuff that if it goes wrong is yeah. going to go badly wrong but in the church 
you know, I was chatting to a friend the other day who's, you know, conservative evangelical. I mentioned I was preaching on this in in Tasmania, and he was like, oh, gosh, be careful because, you know, you wouldn't want to be implying that there are some things that men are called to and women aren't, and to which I think I said, well, I might actually be, actually. I think that's my, what I might be, I might well be saying. Why that is actually the whole point even, of what I'm saying. Even, yeah. even in more conservative churches, there's this fear of saying, you know, this is a virtue or this is an activity yeah. that the, exactly. the, the men, the, the fathers, let's keep it on fathers, are, are called to because you're yeah. disenfranchised people. What what's happened there, and how how do we how do we move past this? Yeah, and I, it, it does uh, just you know not to comp- no, I say not to um, attack feminism. I want to attack feminism. I think it's. Uh, he said oh, it, I, by the way, before oh, you write in. <laughs> it's not Andy Manister, but then again, uh, he'll change that when, when, when the you know when when the patriarchs take over. Um, Andy will then have to curry favour with the new order when the feminist uh, powers have uh, have, have uh, drifted off in their significance. Um, yeah, so f- feminism is an idol that needs smashing, and I think they would say the patriarchy is an idol that needs smashing, and that's why feminism came along. And of course, lots of things that feminism achieved had to happen. Um, because of the bad men that were there, and I think there's that then gives a kind of narrative to this. Therefore, everything else that came with it is is good. But actually, it achieved what it wanted to achieve by revolution, um, and and that wasn't helpful. <laughs> and I think it set up new orders in society which have not been a blessing to to women actually primarily um, as well as to men. But like it was not. I don't think it's been good for women. Lots of women are writing about that. I've got loads of trouble for saying that recently. But that's one of the reasons. Why, um, why we have this problem? Because we and, and why churches are basically they're like in hock. It's like we have this. It's like we're mortgaged to feminism in some way. So we have that's why you don't get to say a virtue is masculine, because you always have to do the caveat. Even when I've done men's ministry stuff and, I, and I'm speaking to a room of guys, I'm recognizing the need. It is a need. I'm not. You know, I think you do need to do it because you're not going to have people with you if you just keep rip going. This is what men are for. Because people are naturally been taught to think ah stereotyping is really terrible and uh, generalizations are really terrible even though they're often using them in their very thought processes when they critique you um so you wanting to caveat and go look we're not saying all men have to act exactly the same we're not saying all women have to uh, conform to a particular type but we are definitely saying there are ballparks there are things that clearly scripturally and just naturally if you leave men and women alone they're going to act in certain ways and fathering and mothering is the most i would argue the most basic um sort of characteristic of of masculinity and femininity. So if we say that, let's say it's feminine to nurture in some way, or it's feminine to collaborate, or it's feminine to uh, relate in some way, or be compassionate in, in particular ways, um, but that are slightly different to male compassion, um, they're going, those things are going to be pertaining to motherhood. And there'll be certain things about fatherhood, whether it's protection, whether it's risk-taking, which are going to pertain to what a father's called to do. Um, so th- and people listen to that. Go, oh, does that mean that everyone has to be a father or mother? Well, most people are. Is for one thing. Most people just in the world will become fathers or mothers. Those who can't, um, they're not kind of off the hook for what it means to be a father or mother. You can be a father or a mother, and are called to be in your church and in society and to other families. You can be a role model and help people. You can pick people up and apprentice them. You can you can you can teach them. You can model a good godly life whether you're called to singleness or whether you find yourself single and aren't called to it and it's your situation in life 
Um, and there are loads of things that, that, are, that, you know, women are called to be mothers in the church and men are called to be fathers in the church. And so I think we do need to get hold of that again. And it's just interesting, the whole thing with 1 Corinthians 16, I just I find it fascinating. Whenever I speak to someone, I, you know, I, I use the ESV, which is more literal. It's not like close to the, yeah, it's closer to the King James, but it's modern um, speech. But it's, it's really just uh, has a more literal translation. So that's why they're going to act like men. But in the you know, 1970s, NIV, etc., they're going, well, what does that really mean? We're trying to get at what the meaning is and act like men just sounds a bit weird. And that's post-feminism, remember? That's, you know, um, post-1960s. So it's not a post-second wave. And I think um, they're sort of then thinking, well, we can't have this. You know, we've got to, we've got to, because all the women will be alienated. How do they get on board with that? But it's just fascinating when you tell someone, and they're like, what, did Paul really say it? Yes, that's what he said. He had a conception that acting like men has something relating to standing firm, strong, and courageous. And if you talk to most non-Christians who have nothing to do with the Bible, they will resonate with that. They get what that is. That's why the the male films, the heroes, tend to act in a certain way. And the films that do well are the ones with men, tend to be the ones that accentuate those natural characteristics, which we could argue are God-given, but clearly can go wrong. Clearly fathers can take that in in a negative direction. But also we're, we're called to cultivate that in a, in a positive direction. And how can we be serving others? How can we, you know, spending ourselves for others? In the way that Paul says about to the Corinthians, he says, I've, I, I'm kind of, as a, as, as someone, as a, a parent sort of obligated to um, um, save up for their children rather than children for their parents. So I, I will spend and be spent for you. Paul is acting like a father to that church and that's why church leadership often fatherhood and shepherd shepherding go together um, and so i think we need to recover some of what that means because you can't you know we're just in such a confused culture because we're again arguing for people listening to this you believe in obviously women in ministry for whom in, in women in leader authoritative ministry not just ministry per se which i think is fine but um, exercising authority over men who for whom that issue is just way gone they're like oh we're still talking about women in ministry didn't we like sort that out like in the 90s or in the early 2000s, whatever their denomination or church shifted on that thing. And I think, well, this is all downstream of the problem because we're losing the sense of what fatherhood is in the church. So I, I would, I know you might not connect this so clearly. I, I connect them really clearly that I think if you really want to care about fatherhood, you've got to stop faffing around with some of the texts we're like turning upside down in the Bible, trying to like chisel our way out of them because you then can't read verses like act like men without putting a little feminist spin on it go well women can act like men as well and isn't that great well what what a surprise we now have trans and we're having to argue about that now which was unthinkable you know 10 20 years ago so anyway well, well, i think actually you to deal yeah. with. no there are and i think all these i think it's interesting that i think on so many of these issues around sex and gender that actually you all reference there to you know we're downstream of where things went went wrong i think there's a huge task to be done of actually being willing to look upstream and mm. diagnose the the spring or mm. with or the or the roots from where mm. things first uh went off kilter and what's interesting of course is the fact that actually our secular friends are perhaps sometimes more willing to do this than in the in the church yeah. you know louise perry whose book case against the sexual revolution we've mentioned before on this uh this podcast, I mean, that's a fascinating book from a from a fem- from from a feminist, someone who would identify with that label, but nevertheless, saying so many things have gone wrong, and women have ended up in such an unhelpful place as have men, and it's all back and back to the nineteen sixties and, and decisions made made there. But the other thing that occurred to me, uh, Aaron, as well, the irony is actually that if you try and flatten out 
act like men and apply it to everyone and say, well, women can act like men too. Actually, everything collapses in meaninglessness because, well, act like what? Because there is nothing that men are supposed to act Mm. like. Um, And so there's that piece that comes in. And then, of course, the other pieces happen in our our culture. Um, As, you know, a lot of that, you know, there is that toxic masculinity around. We'd be naive if we denied that. The models of masculinity that are often placed onto men by culture are not helpful but then what's happened is women in our culture are encouraged to copy those so in recent years the rise of ladette culture you know where women have yeah. been told what you need to do is you need to go drinking like men you need to sleep around yeah. like men you need to be you need to fight like men uh um, like you know you yeah. just copy all of those bad characteristics mm-hmm. rather than you know i think the job of the church to back things up and go okay let's take a look at what the bible calls men and women to um recognizing mm-hmm. by the way and i think the way that you deal with uh, you know, sometimes the what I call you know the single woman, the single mother objection is to say that there are non-ideal situations, and when a woman for you know no yeah. fault of her own ends yeah. up raising the kids, the husband has died tragically young. Yes, you know God provides grace for circumstances. There are people mm-hmm. doing remarkable jobs in difficult, so, but that is not the ideal. We don't set out and go well, therefore because we have women who are exceptional uh, in carrying the can for the entire family because they just how they have to. Or you look at yeah. what women did during wartime when the men folk were already fighting. The mistake is then to normalise that and go well. Okay, we take that extreme and we we normalise it. There's that old saying, isn't yeah. there, in ethics yeah. that you know hard cases make bad law, um, yeah. Yeah. and we don't extrapolate from from those. Rather, we look for what's normative. And I think, by the way, the other thing in the church that can be said is that those men and women who are not mothers and fathers, as you say, not everyone has that privilege and that responsibility, sometimes just because the kids have grown up and left, sometimes because of circumstances. We can also, in church community, there's that old saying, you know, it takes a village to raise a child. There are things like some question marks I have in that. But at the same time, it does take a, a whole church to raise a child and to go, actually, all of us can be involved in the church community of looking out for the younger members of the community, mm. raising others, discipling others, you know, coming alongside and supporting parents is something that yeah. all of us yeah. uh, can do, especially those who are older and wiser in years and perhaps have seen more of the world than those of us who are younger. I know Astrid and I have learned mm. tremendous amounts from older couples who've come alongside us and encouraged us. Yeah, sometimes they have kids of their own, sometimes they haven't. Sometimes they've just had 60 years experience of following Jesus and have lived through mm. some cultural changes. Um, mm. And I think mm. part of the problem we live in is such this individualistic age that we've brought large yeah. amounts of that, into, we brought into that in the church too. And that's affected mm. how we read masculine, feminine parenting and mm. singleness and all of these, all of these things. So there's a lot of work to be done unpicking some of this. Yeah, no, absolutely there is. And, um, you know, I just kind of think it would be great if we had time to, maybe we should do another episode on this. In terms we of probably like, should, because I've, I've got to I'll drop in a minute yeah, and do it and do a seminar. Yeah. That's parenting, it, it must be said. Yeah. But, uh, <laughs> and that, and that, yeah, just a, as I guess a final thing before, and then we generally, we should do another, we should follow this up, because I think in terms of people listening to go, what, what would be good practices or bad practices specifically, practically in fatherhood? Because there are things like that that, that really go to town we've talked really about the the issue of like reclaiming fatherhood um as a thing because we're in a culture that likes to just diminish it as well you're just a co-parent there is no characteristic of a father yeah the mother because she had to birth the child um and then and then all of her mothering stops it's just like then it's just co-parenting actually i think we really really uh go wrong at that phase but there's a lot i just think there's a lot of things the church needs to wake up to on that because we can't 
we can't have our cake and eat it. We can't say we, we, we don't want to smash feminism as an idol because we don't think it's an idol. It's really mean to talk that way because would you prefer it to be misogynistic? No, wouldn't prefer it to be misogynistic, but look at the, the world you're in. Look at the fathers and mothers. Look at the children um, being brought up in all sorts of different um, structures that the West, the, uh, the feminist West has created or helped to support in some way. Are you happy with this? Is this a good idea? Is there a better way to do this? Does the Bible have anything else to say on it? And then just start thinking and asking questions. Because I think it's just really not asking questions of the norms around us is is the biggest problem here. We need to, that's the that very the very base level. That's probably where we need to start. Just ask questions. Yes, that's a great place to end. And a nice link, by the way, because I'm about to go and do a seminar up at the Argyle Convention on the importance of questions and evangelism. Yeah. And I think actually over the years I've learned that a lot of those those tools that we teach in evangelism for asking questions when people you know raise objections um, work well mm-hmm. culturally. Too. If somebody says to you something, you know, fatherhood should go mm. like this or masculinity is this, mm. simply, if as a listener to this, you don't feel confident to, to push back, somebody say, that's interesting. Why do you think that? Uh, or mm. what do you mean by that? And to encourage people mm. to, to begin questioning, because I think so much in our culture, people just sort of go with the flow and, uh, and assume because everyone's saying it, it must be true. And sometimes it's important to be like the little boy in the in the story of the emperor's new clothes, the one who raises their hand and goes, "Hang on, hang on a moment, I've got a, yeah. I've got an awkward question here." Well, no, talking of awkward yeah. questions, this has been part of the gaps, and uh, <laughs> we will do more on this topic. And by the way, if you are listening to this, or you're a father, and uh, you think there are some things we haven't talked about that we jolly well should reach out to us in the comments on social media or for those who support us on, on Patreon. Uh, it's great to have some of our supporters love to engage with us there. If you're a mother listening to this um, and you've got some views too, we want to hear from you. And if there are questions we should be asking that we haven't, and if there are things that we've said that we shouldn't, uh, we'd love to hear from you all. So do, do, do reach out to us. And, uh, if, and equally, if there are ideas for future shows that you have, do let us know. Aaron and I have a list of topics, don't we? Um, but we're always after. after <laughs> I always think things. when you ask people that, I kind of think if they, they could give us, we've got like 40 on a list to get through. <laughs> so uh, they're going yes. to have to, if it's a really good one, it could make it to the top. You never know. And we will try and squeeze another episode in, in the next few weeks. I'm off on a summer speaking tour of Australia, which is going to slow us down slightly. Holiday. But we're, holiday. Well, yeah. part, part, part holiday and part, and part, and part speaking. Um, no, you are working quite thing. hard, I'm sure. And uh, there we go. Um, well, on that note, this has been part of the gaps. I've been Andy Bannister. That's been Aaron Edwards. And uh, we hope you've enjoyed listening. And we'll catch you next time. Bye for now. Bye.